0: Welcome to another episode of Daf Shui, weekly Daf. Give me 40 minutes or so, and I'll give you a Daf or so. We are in the Shloshetimah Gballah, the three days preceding Shavuot, the three days in which Moshe was commanded by God to tell the people, get ready, and Moshe only told the men, get ready, and a lot of things come from that moment. Anyway, last week on this podcast, I spoke a little bit about the fact that going to Sinai, Israel was involved in a process of tshuva, a process of repentance, and the reason for that was because in order to hear the words, I am God, they had to get rid of Egypt. They had to get Egypt out of them and not only leave Egypt, and that getting Egypt out of them was getting rid of the structural oppression and racism. This week was not a good week in that process. On Monday, two incidents happened in two different parts of the country. Amy Cooper, a white woman in Central Park, was walking her dog off the leash. And a black man, uh, Christian Cooper, unrelated, who is a birder and well-known in the park, part of the, a member of the board of the Audubon Society, uh, asked her to leash her dog and started filming her and said that he would film her until... She puts her dog back on the leash following the regulations in the park. Amy Cooper then threatened to call the police on Christian Cooper unless he left her alone. In other words, she was going to call the police and tell them that she was being threatened by a large African-American man. Amy Cooper was deploying the mechanics of structural racism in order to threaten a black man's life. We know what happens when police roll up on a black man luckily christian cooper was filming and nothing happened to him amy cooper was roundly condemned and lost her job but it's that deploying of structural racism which is egypt that we have to work so hard on we meaning white people have to work so hard on getting that out of ourselves on the other side of the country on monday floyd george was arrested according to the video evidence was not resisting arrest and yet, a policeman held him down with his knee on the ground while he was saying, I can't breathe, just like Eric Gardner in New York in 2014, and Floyd George died. So he was murdered by police. The policemen were fired. But another proof of the fact that we have to work so much harder get rid of the structural racism in this country in order to get to Sinai. But that's where we're going. We're going to Sinai. And uh, today we're going to take a, another couple steps forward. Hopefully we are going to shelter in Torah for the next 40 minutes or so. And we are on 25B in Babavatra in the edition that was popularized by the brothers and widow Ram, lo these 150 years ago in Vilna. So we're going to uh, take a step back we're going to go over something that we did at the end of last week's episode just to look a little bit under the hood and then surge ahead so we're going to start with the Mishnah. i have to distance a tree from a cistern 25 amot and if the tree is a carob tree or a sycamore tree 50 amot whether you are planting the tree above the cistern, or to the side of the cistern, there are uh, different gears out, Whether or not it's ben milamala, ben milamata, we have that in whether it's above or beneath, we have that in one version of the Tosefta, and also that comes up in the Gemara. If the if the cistern was there prior to the tree, so you cut down the tree and you pay the owner of the tree. Ilan kadam Loyakut. And if the tree came first, then you don't cut down the tree. And if it's not clear which one came first, whether the tree or the uh, cistern, so you don't cut down the tree. Rabbi Yossi, our libertarian, comes to tell us that even though the cistern came before the tree, you do not cut the tree down because each person is exploiting his own private property. This one is digging in his property, and this one is planting in his property. And so therefore, each of them has rights. Okay, we'll see that it's a little bit more complicated. Gemara. Gemara said, It says in a b'rita, whether the cistern is below and the tree is above, or whether the, the cistern is above and the tree is below. Bishlama bor Okay, this makes sense if the cistern is below, and and I'm talking about like on a hillside, if the cistern is below and the tree is above, so the roots grow down and they damage uh, the cistern. But if the cistern is above and the tree is below, so then perhaps the the tree roots will not grow upwards. Um, And this apparently is true. Haga Umalkin And so Rabbi Haga and it says in the because what they do is they they weaken the land, they cause the, they cause the land to to uh become like clumpy, and they weaken the support for the cistern. So that is a direct damage to the cistern, even if the cistern is above and the tree is below. So here's what I want to look underneath the underneath the hood a little bit. What raised the red flag here is that is Rebbe Rabihaga Chaga is not a popular Amora, didn't have good representation perhaps. Doesn't come up a lot. So when we look at it, but we remember, we recall the Rabihaga actually popped up on Utet Ahmed nineteen B. There, Rabbi Chaga says a statement which is surprisingly similar to the statement here. Because it clumps up the ground and it raises a, a clumpy land. And there, we're talking about when you're planting a tree, you have to distance a tree from a wall because it weakens the roots of the wall. So. Those two, the similarity between those two statements raises a flag. And then we, when we look a little bit further, we ask the question: What is Rabbi Chaga actually responding to? Is Rabbi Chaga responding to the stamma statement beforehand? lamata amai, right? If the query that the cistern is above and the tree is below, so then what is the what is the reason? Is that what Rabbi Chaga responding to, or is Rabbi Chaga directly responding to the Mishnah itself? saying this is the reason that you have to distance the tree from the cistern in general is um, because it it weakens the support for the cistern, which is the same logic as on 19b. And actually, the meta-question, this is raised by David Halibni Weiss or David Halibni, Professor rather, David Halibni Weiss in Mezgarim Makarot, perhaps the, the statement actually wasn't here at all. Rabbi Chayga wasn't relating to our Mishnah. Rabbi Chagah brought this statement of Rabbi to respond to the situation on 19b, talking about the wall and the tree. And then it was imported to our sugya to respond to a similar situation of a, of a tree and a cistern. Um, and actually, but the the its original place was not here. And it's not responding to this stomatic question here, but actually just a general comment on the fact that this is what happens with trees. They weaken the ground, so the Stom brought it here because it's equally applicable to a question of tree and cistern as it is to tree and wall. Okay, so now that we've put that to bed, we continue. Rabbiosi Omer. So now we going to talk about the end of the Mishnah. Rebiosi Omer. says that even though the cistern was there before the tree, you don't cut down the tree because this one is digging in his land and this one is digging in his land. There was a little bit of a conversation of this in the previous sigi. So if you want to go back last week and listen to that again, or just, you know, look up. Six lines in the Gemara. So Rabbi Huda said in the name of Shmuel that the halacha is like Rabi Now here's interesting. The Gemara here is showing its work. Um, the Stam is showing its work. There are two possibilities to this argument. So Yuda says in the name of Shmuel the halacha is like Rabi Yossi. So Rabbi Huda says when I was in the house when I was studying with Rav Kahana. they said... That Ribiosi agrees in the case of Giri Dide. Now, Giri Dide is an immediate damage caused by the actions of the damager, the Mazik, without any lapse. And that's kind of there's a the Yad Ramah has that specific definition. of there's this, it's and the point is without any lapse. In other words, so it, there there is. Giri delay, and then if not, it's grama. So giri delay is his arrows, like you think of the the metaphor of shooting an arrow. So shooting an arrow, even though it takes could take you know thirty seconds, ten seconds, whatever it is. I'm not a big archery guy um, to get from the bow to where it's going. But that is all koho, right? That is all the power of the damager, As opposed to grama, which is you do one thing. And then something else happens because of that. But the second thing is not as direct. Now, philosophically, there could be that this there's no basis for this. I don't know. But this legally, there is a basis for it. And Rabashi says that in the house of Rav Kahana, says that Rabiosi agreed with a case of Giridide, in other words, in a case of direct damage that you that, that in that case, you can't just say, this is my property, I can do whatever I want. Papi Yonah Ani Veheshir So Papi, who was uh, from the town of Yonah, or his name was Papi Yonah, was a poor person who became rich. Bana Afadna. So he, Afdana, he built himself a mansion. Typical story. So there were these pressers in his neighborhood. People who used to make oil. When they would bang on the sesame seeds in order to get out the oil, it would rock his house. It would rock not his world, but his house, his his, uh, mansion. So he came to Ravashi. So Rav Ashi again said this statement that we heard before. When I was in Rav Kahana's, apparently made a large impression on him. When I was at Ka- studying with Rav Kahana, said that uh, Rav Yosi agrees in a case of direct damage. So what is direct damage? So they have a test. When you put a jar on top of a wall of the house or next to a wall of the house, and you put a cover on the jar, not tight, if that shakes and falls off when the, the rumbling is happening. Okay, so that is the case. That is the, the test of whether or not it is called giri the Ravin. So in the house of Marion, we know from other places, rich people. And Bar Marion was the son of Ravin. When they would pound the cotton uh, to make it usable as as thread, when they would pound the cotton, the chaff or the the linen, the chaff would go out. The the stuff that they're pounding to get rid of would go out and fly and hurt people. Atulakame the Ravina, so the people came to Ravina and complained. Rabina, a sage, and they complained to him, Amar laho ki amrina, modi dilei. When I said, when we said that Rabiosi was agreed in a case of direct damage, dika azlami This is because it came out from his own power, kocho. amtila. Here, it's not his own power. Here, it's the wind. So you're pounding on the linen and these, the pieces of linen, the pieces that you don't want, the chaff, flies up in the air, and then it's the wind that takes it. So that's not considered koho, that's considered grama. Mat kifla mar baravashi, zorev aruach mesayato. So mar, the son of Ravashi, asks the question, why is this different than somebody who's winnowing, and then the the wind carries away the chaff? And the the context of the question is that that's considered a, a full m'lacha on Shabbat. Right and actually, this is Mar Barabashi. Ravashi says Ravashi in in babakama sixty eight talks about this very case. Right, so so winnowing and the wind carrying away the chaff is being helping out in the winning is considered a complete activity on Shabbat, which is forbidden because the melech and Shabbat. is kind of a skilled labor on Shabbat. So what's the difference between that and here you have the chaff that's flying away when you're b- pounding on the linen. Amruah kamei de Maremar. So they brought this before and said it to Maremar. Amar he said back to them, hainu This is the same exact thing as zoreh, now that's kind of a it's a question right why shouldn't this be like want say that it should be like winnowing and therefore winnowing is forbidden on Shabbat so therefore also pounding linen and then the the uh chaff goes out and de- hurts people that should also be uh the person's fault we should consider it similarly Kocho in uh, the damages here. So it must be. So when Maremar answers, it must be that what he is saying is that no, this is only Amalacha on Shabbat. And actually, there's one manuscript, the Munich manuscript. Adds beforehand, Isura Mimamona loyal finan. We don't learn Isura, forbidden things, meaning things that are ritually forbidden or like Kashrut or Shabbat, from damages, from monetary matters. And actually in Bavakama, the case that we quoted before so Ravashi says that when we're talking about winnowing, that is honey, mile, linyan, Shabbat. That is talking about Shabbat, but in the case of there, we're talking about there, it's talking, it's a large discussion about fire. Somebody lights a fire, and then there are thorns, and it lights the thorns, it gets out of control a little bit, so or the wind blows it and so the here there so the wind is with nazikin is just considered a grama ba'alma so there is a distinction between mimonot and isrin right so in with shabbat the wind makes it into a a full melacha, a full activity but in terms of damages in terms of monetary matters the wind is not counted and it becomes a grama and the truth is that um well We'll say what the truth is in a minute. So that's what Maremer seems to be saying to him. He says, no, that's good for zoreh because Zorah is an activity on Shabbat, winnowing that is forbidden. And on Shabbat, you have different category of activities. And you can't bring, you can't make an argument from winnowing to say that this should also be forbidden on Shabbat. But according to Ravina, Why is this different? Let's, let's, okay. Fine. So we're not going to bring. We're not going to try to analogize this to the laws of Shabbat. But why not um, analogize it to what we say that when you're when you have a hammer and you're pounding on an anvil and sparks fly out, so and and cause damage, whatever kind of damage it puts something on fire or or burns somebody, then in that case we say that you are that the person who's who's smashing on the on the anvil is accountable and must pay for it. That seems to be the same thing. Hatam ni Ha ni the difference is, and this is a distinction which is also similar to a Shabbat distinction, it is ni chalei The person who's whacking on the, the anvil wants, I mean, the whole point there is to make those sparks because he's banging the, the metal into a certain shape. Um, so therefore, he wants the is, is kind of it's comfortable for him, it's in accordance with his desires that the sparks will go out. Here, when we're talking about here, in the case of the linen, it's not nihale, right? He doesn't care whether or not the chaff flies out of the linen, does not help him, flies away, doesn't help him at all. Now, this is also a distinction which exists in Shabbat, either Malach Shrichlay Gufa or an activity that you need or an activity that you don't need, right? If you if you pull a chair across the floor on Shabbat, so you don't need the chair to make rows in the floor. You just need the chair. So it's not a malachiklay, because it's not that's a forbidden activity, but it's not an activity that you actually need. So that becomes a different thing. So there are Find distinctions here that are being drawn between different types of law and how to define activity in different realms. That you define activity in Shabbat realm in one way, and you define activity in torts or in monetary matters in a completely different way. And the the truth is, we're getting back to what the truth is. This is it. The truth. It should have like a truth sound effect. Da-da-da-da. Truth is that if you didn't sit so on with the laws of Shabbat, if grama, if causing something but not directly, was actually not counted as part of a forbidden activity, then you, there are many things that would be permitted on Shabbat which are otherwise forbidden. So, for example, all of cooking is grama, right? You just put food on fire, and then it cooks. When you put the food on the fire, nothing immediately happens. Nothing immediately happens. We put the food on the fire, it takes a while and then it cooks. And then if it's there for too long, it's no longer cooking. Okay, so that's so there is there are essential distinctions between these two types of laws. All right, we are moving along. The Mishnah. A person is not allowed to plant a tree next to his fellow's field unless he has. Distance it four amot, four cubits. Whether it is vines or any tree, and that's going to become the, the ambiguity there. There's, are you planting vines? Are you planting trees? Are you planting next to vines? Are you planting next to trees? Is going to become a matter of contention in the Gemara. There was now gadir is not a fence. We've explained it as fence before, but it's not necessarily a fence. Rapshaw um, Lieberman in his Tosefta Kibshutta points out that Gader um, is actually more like a tel, a like a berm, like a, a, a little hillock. Um, because, uh, first of all, there are places where in Rabbinic Hebrew where tell and Gader are used as synonyms, but also in uh, the beginning of Tosefta Shabbat, a Gader, which is 10 amot, 10 tvachim tall and 4 tvachim wide is considered a private domain. Private domain is not actually a good translation, that doesn't make a difference. But there you have a gader. So it's obviously you don't have a fence, in our sense of the word fence, that's uh, 4 tvachim wide and 10 tvachim high. Could be, you could think of like these rock fences that you have in various places. In New England, something like that, that are wide. But uh it's probably more like or Michelle Lieberman suggests that it's more like a, a berm or a hillock. Okay, moving on. being There was a this this uh, hillock between them, or we're gonna we're gonna use the word fence, but that's what we mean. Um, between them, this one you're allowed to plant right up to the hillock on either side because then they apparently they won't damage each other. If the roots of one's tree went into the fellow's property, fellow's field, so then you can dig down three tevachim in order to not stop a plow from plowing. Now, to dig down three tevachim means you can three tevachim down. You can just cut out the roots down till three twachim, or perhaps... You can dig down and depress the roots three twachim. I don't know if that actually works, but that's a possibility. And if I was digging either a cistern or a shiach, which is kind of an elongated water hole, or an an artificial cave for water, so then I can dig all the way down, cut the roots. And the wood from those roots are mine. All right. Tana arba amot shamru kidei abodata Kerem. So, uh, Bright tells us that these four amot, and this is a, an idea that we've had other places, is in order to be able to work the vineyard. So in other words, you have to be able to go, the the uh, Ruvain and Shifra have abutting properties. Ruvain has a vineyard. And Shifra has to leave four cubits on the border of her property so that Ruvain could work his vineyard, meaning that at the end of the row, his pack and plow, his his animals pulling his plow can turn into the next row. So Shmuel said that this is only talking about the land of Israel, but in Bavel, it's only two Amot. And Rashi says that's because in Bavel, they use donkeys, which take up, which is a, a, a sharper turn. There is a b'aita that says the same thing. A person is not allowed to plant a tree next to their fellow's field unless they distance it to amot. The distance, the tree, to amot. But did we not say in the Mishnah, that you have to distance it for amot. So no, and in some of the manuscripts it doesn't have the the lab, it, just depend, it just depends. That just depends on the tone. So shmuel So it teaches us that this is like shmuel who said that there's a distinction between eretz and bevel. and there are those who actually pose this as a contradiction. Person should not plant a tree, abutting their fellow's field, unless they distance it for Amot. V'ha tanya But did we not learn in a b'rita that it's only two Amot, two cubits? on Shmuelokashe kambi Eretz It's not a difficulty. This is talking about Bavel, and this is talking about the land of Israel. So what's going on here? This is what I mentioned before. The Stam is showing their cards. They had two out And they had Shmuel's tradition, the tradition from Shmuel, that there was a difference between Eretz Yisrael and Bavel. And they arranged those things in different ways, right? They had There were two possibilities for how to arrange. You had the Mishnah that says four amot. You had a Braita that says two amot. And then you had Shmuel that distinguished between Eretz Yisrael and Babel, that in Eretz it's four amot and Babel is two amot. So then you can arrange it in different ways. The first way to arrange it is the first way that the Gemara arranges it, which says which you just put, you just have the notion of Foramot, explaining it, explaining why the amot, because that's the way you need to to work the vineyard. And then Shmuel coming along saying, okay, but that's only, Shmuel is a Loshanu statement. Loshanu is usually a statement that's directly on the Mishnah. So Shmuel's statement as a statement, just minimizing the applicability of the Mishnah statement to Eretz Yisrael for the amot to the land of Israel. And then saying then, Bavel, it's amot. And we also then Tanya Nami is a statement which, which then cites a breita which reinforces the Amoreic statement beforehand, right? So then uh, the question is, what happened here? What, the Shmuel didn't know this breita? So Judith Halman, a long time ago, in her first book, which was called Tanya Nami shows that original sugyot, were just bright out that were studied with specific mishnayot. So you had a mishnah, and then when people would study the mishnah, they'd have a breitot. So this breitot, that breitot, a piece of tonetic text that says, you only have to distance two Amot, was appended to this Mishnah because it's interesting because the Mishnah says for Amot and this says two Amot. And then eventually when Shmuel's statement made, when Shmuel made his statement or the statement was attributed to Shmuel and it got its literary formulation, as Avram Weiss would say, kvi So then this was appended to that. And then it became, then the Stam put it into a discussion that you had for Amot because this is the way you work a vineyard. Oh no, look, we have another bright Shmuel says there's a distinction between Oh, look, we have a Brita that says the same thing. Then the psalm says, you know what? There's actually another way to work it. Maybe um, there are those people who actually posed it as a contradiction. Oh, our Mishnah says, four Amot. Oh, my God, look at this. There's another Brita that says, two Amot. Ah, Shmuel harmonizes the two, saying one is an and one is Babel. So now, usually we'd only find one of these two, but both of them... Here were preserved, and so therefore we have it as an Amri. or actually, usually an Amri, There are those who say, but here ikadaramilamirma, right? The stam showing his work, or their work, that there are those who put it as a contradiction. This week's podcast is brought to you by Goop. Goop, it works. When Job was struck with boils, after his children were killed and all his property was destroyed, when he was rolling on the floor in the deepest existential and physical pain, and his wife, Mrs. Job had just told him to curse God and die, and his friends all lined up one after the other to tell him that, yes, after all, it was his fault. As Job was about to demand justice from God to deny God's righteousness, if only someone had brought him some goop. Once over the body and like new, Job would have gooped once, had a cup of coffee, and been back bantering with the buds. And God could have just taken Satan out for another round. Goop. It's what will take care of that God-awful pain. And I mean that. Okay. Okay. Now, story time. Rava Barbar Hanan or Chana, according to so, some manuscripts, Rava Barbar Hanan, hanhu dikle a de pardisa de Rav So Rava Bar Barbar Hanan had his palm trees, which were on the border of the orchard or the vineyard of Rav Yosef. Okay, some dikla or tale, which is a different word, a synonym for dikla trees, havaatid yatvi bedikle. So there were. Birds who came to who came and settled in his trees, and then they would go down into the orchard or the vineyard and cause damage, as birds are wont to do. Amarle, so Rav Yosef said, zeal coats. said to Rav Hanan, Hanan, cut them down because you're damaging my. Uh, they come in, they eat the grapes, or they destroy the leaves, or the roots, whatever they do. I don't have to. I was my, the law says I have to distance it for a moat. Look, I distance it for a moat. Why do I have to cut it down now? So Rabbi answered, "Hanimili lila note abalik fanim tvei." So Rabbi says that is talking only about trees, but in the case of vines, you need more. So Rabbi Baruch Hanan replies, "Did we not?" Learn in the Mishnah, echad gufanim ve'echad kol ilan. That it's both, we're talking, it doesn't make a difference whether it's a vine or it's any other tree. Amar So Rav Yosef comes back to him and says, hanim le ilan That's actually talking about putting trees next to trees, le gufanim, or putting vines next to vines. ilan But if you're putting up a tree, you're actually... The manuscripts have ilanim, ilanot If you're putting up trees next to vines, you need more space. Amar kayatsna. So Rav just stomps his foot and said, you know what? I'm not cutting it down. Rav, why? Because Rav said, Hai dikla de ta'in kava An environmental impact report. Rav says that any uh, palm tree that has a kav worth of dates, um, you're not allowed to cut it down. A cob is a, a like a bucket full of dates, so you're not allowed to cut it down because it's a it's a fruit giving tree, right? And there's a whole parasha in the in the, in the Torah, there's a Torah portion that when you lay siege to a to a city, you're not allowed to cut down the fruit trees. So you're not to, there's a, so you're not allowed to cut down the fruit trees. And there's another tradition that we have for Reb My son Shichat, or actually in the parallel sugya. In parallel, so in Babakama, 91b, it's Shivchat Bri, which actually makes a little more, perhaps makes a little more sense. Shivchat means forgetfulness. Shivchat is praise, praiseworthy, but it could actually mean something else in Persian. So my son, Shivchat, only died because he cut a palm tree before its time. So I'm not cutting it. Mar, ini if you want to cut it down, I, you go and cut it down. I'm not cutting it down. So here we have a standoff between Rabbi Khanan, which comes out, and, and Rabbi Yosef, which actually to a certain extent comes out of our Mishnah saying, and not knowing what's going on, whether or not that actually, and that is uh, juxtaposed with whether or not that means trees next to trees, vines next to vines, or trees next to vines. And Rabbi Khanan says, I'm not cutting it down because you don't cut down fruit-bearing trees. All right. Which is an interesting idea, interesting story that con- seems to contradict the halacha of the Mishnah. This is not a, an individual case. Um, There's actually a, an interesting book by Barry Wimfeimer. It talks about legal narratives where you have stories which seem to contradict the halacha or actually contradict the halacha of the sugya around them. And then this gives the Rishonim him a lot of work to do to put them back in line. But I want to mention one other thing here is that there are a lot of, um, as we're going through this, there are a lot of minor, what seem to be minor variant readings in the manuscripts, like Dikle is Tale, using a different word for the same word, which means tree throughout, or whether or not the Amarleys are in, whether or not there are, it says he said to him, or he didn't, doesn't say, or doesn't use that introductory formula, or whether it says Tnan. It says the mission or not, or it doesn't say it's none. So why are these important? So they're important for one reason. Shama Friedman, the great Talmudist, has taught us that usually when a piece of Gemara has a lot of variant readings, it means it's late. And that means, then the reason for that is because it, it shows that it's come together at a very late period. And therefore, over time, um, in transmission, these different things have, now that doesn't necessarily change the essential meaning. Sometimes it does. But it just shows us that this is a late story. Okay, another story. Rav Papa Havalei Hanhu Diklei, or Talei, right? The Rav Papa had these palm trees. A Tzred Rav Huna Rav Yoshua. On the board which abutted the field of Rav Huna Rav Yoshua. Azal Chafar B'Kakayitz Okay, So... Rav Papa went and he saw that Rav Huna had dug down in his field and cut the roots of his palm trees, right? As it says in, in the in the end of the Mishnah that we just that we just read. And he dug down and he's allowed and he he's allowed to cut the, the trees. I'm to lay my high. So he comes and he says to him, What is this? What's going on here? Amarleh Tzanaka says, and it teaches in our Mishnah. If there are roots going out into the field of his fellow, so then he can go down three tvachim in order not to stop the plow. So he says, so he replied to him, but that's only three tvachim. You you dug way more than three tvachim. Some gersot say tuva, some gersot say tvay. Amarle, which both mean more. Amarle, you stopped me when I just read the first part of the Mishnah, but I'm actually a digging for a cistern or a a, a cave or water a water hole. And uh, there it says, uh, right? There it says, that he goes down further. There at the end of the mission, it says that you dig down and you cut the roots and the trees are his. So if Papa says that I said all these things to him, right? Papa, who's the owner of the tree, said, I said many many things to him, and I did not win. So this is not totally transparent. Rabbah says until I said that which Rav Yehuda says, which was a boundary along the border between two fields or the edge of a field. If if the rabim, the, the masses established a foothold on that and established an ownership of it. So then you're not allowed to destroy it. Now, what does that mean? That means that if there's a field and people in general just started walking along the edge of the field because they had to get from one side of the field to the other, or they had to, that was the way to go, or they just started doing it because it was customary. At a certain point, now that's a question, um, but it's at a certain point, there is a chazakah, right? If, In other words, if it's my field, and I see every morning I wake up and I see the kids going to school and then the parents going to their jobs and then the mailman coming, to the, the mail delivery person coming to deliver the mail and then the police chief wandering around whacking people all along this path. And I don't say anything about the path. I say something about the police chief whacking people. but That's a whole other another story because that's because we're trying to get to Sinai. But I see all these people going back and forth along the path and I don't say anything. So at a certain point, the people, the rabim, get a an ownership over that land. Now it's not an ownership in the sense of they can then sell it, but it is ownership in the sense that I can't now go out and plow it up. I can one morning and say, you know what, I'm tired of all these people walking along the land. It's been three years. I'm going to take my plow out there and I'm going to plow it up and plant something so that they can't do it, right? So therefore, Surah, Pupp- Surah Puppet says, look, Rev Yehuda says that, meaning that, there is a certain chazakah, a certain ownership over that land. So the same thing applies to my roots. So therefore, you shouldn't have been able to dig up my roots because they were there and they had been... Now, the question is, what is? how did the roots apply a chazakah? And and there's an interesting thing, the, 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 the claim seems to be amongst the medievals that they were drawing water from your field. So if they're drawing water from your field, then they are... They established their own Khazaka. Okay, so Rapapa says that this was the winning argument. Levatar Dinafik, so after he left, and I'm leaving there ambiguous for a minute, Amar said, Amai lo Amrile, why didn't I say to him? This is within 16 amot, which is the, the amount that you, you can have for the Metzar, because that is the amount, the, the boundary of the field, because that is the amount that you can have, that is considered a Rishutarabim, that is considered a, a public domain. And so therefore, there's a difference between whether or not it's within the 16, which is the part that the masses can take ownership over. And this is outside the 16. So if in, within the 16, if my tree goes into the 16, i 16 cumits within, on the boundary of your field, you're not allowed to dig down and dig them up because that's the same thing as the uh Rabim, that the boundary that the, the masses took ownership over. If it's beyond that, it's different. So now the question is, who's saying that to who, right? Is this Rav Papa saying, you know what? I could have said something better. Or is this after he left, Rahuna is saying, oh no, I had an answer to him. Okay, so there's a machloket, there's a dispute amongst the Rishonim, who says it? The Yad Ramah and Ra- Rashi, actually first, and then the Yad Ramah and others, uh, uh, seemingly, it seems like the Ramban in the Melchamot Hashem, which is a commentary defending the Rift, defending Alfasi against the Rebbe Zerachia Levi, the author of the Maor, says Levater did Rav Papa. After Rav Papa left... The Balamar, the Zerahiel Levi, and then the Milchamot, as a Ramban says, Levater deNafik Rav After Ravuna Huna left, and the Milchamot is only uh, articulating that, not in his own voice, but uh, saying that this is what go- the various Gonim say after Rav left. Okay, so what is how is the difference between the two of them? So right, we had the argument. The winning, the winning blow was Rav Yehuda saying that a boundary line which the, the, so the boundary part of the field that the masses took ownership over, you can't ruin. So Rav Huna then says, I could have just said, the only time you get to dig down and destroy my tree roots and keep them is if they are on the other side of the 16 Amot of the mezar, which is Mukhzak, which is held by the masses. Okay, so that's Rav Huna saying, that's that kind of pushing back on review the statement. If it's Rav Papa saying this, so then he's commenting directly on the mission of the only time that the tree owner has the ability to stop the field owner from digging cisterns, etc., is when the cistern is within 16 amot mm of the tree. And then since the tree is drawing water from the field, it has rights on top of the field to stop the owner of the field from digging. So this is Rav Papa saying, I had a better thing. I could have said something better, Right that the only time that the tree owner has the ability to stop the field owner is when the cistern is within 60 m o. of the tree. But if it's beyond, because then it's drawing water from the field, so then it has rights on the field to stop the owner of the field from digging it. Okay, so those are the two possibilities of whether or not this last line, de after he left, is a puppet Papa taking an extra bite, or it's Rav saying, oh, you know, I could have pushed back. All right, last night of the Mishnah. So if he dug a cistern or a water place to hold water, I have to get a better word for that. It's kind of an elongated water hole or an artificial cave. So he cuts down and cuts the roots and, and the wood is hit. hadeba so Yaakov Hedeba asks Abrachista, who does the wood belong to? It says it in the uh, in a Mishnah. Ilan, and this is a Mishnah that's talking about Hektesh, uh, things that belong to uh, the temple, things that are dedicated to the temple. Ilan hektesh maalin. Roots of a tree. From a field which is not dedicated to the temple, which is not sacred, which grow into a field which is hectish, which is sacred, not a very good translation of hectic, which is dedicated to the temple, you're not allowed to have benefit from them, nor are you, it's in a middle stage, nor are you obligated or accountable if you do have benefit from them. So therefore, in other words, if something that belongs to the temple is not allowed to be put to ordinary use as opposed to sacred use. So normally you would say either you're not allowed to benefit from something and then you can, then if you do benefit from it, you are held accountable for benefiting from something that is dedicated to the temple or you're allowed to benefit from it because it's hedyot, because it's non, not dedicated to the temple. And therefore also you can not be considered accountable for benefiting from it. So there's no meal on it. But here is in a middle case. So if you're gonna say that we follow the trees, right? So the tree is in the is in a non-dedicated field, non-dedicated to the temple field. So therefore there's no accountability for using it. Because it's not me because it's not dedicated to the temple. But if you're gonna say that we actually establish its status of being dedicated to the temple and not based on the ground that it is growing in. So why don't we have me'ila? Why don't we say that you can, you should be held accountable for using something that's dedicated to the temple. It's growing in land that's dedicated to the temple. Elamai, ilan aslinan. So we say, so what? No, actually, we have to say that we're going, that we're following the tree, where the tree is growing. Ema So then let's say, let's quote the end of this Mishnah but if we have the opposite case that a tree that's growing in dedicated land and the roots go in to non-dedicated land, so you're neither you're not you're not allowed to have benefit from it nor are you held accountable for for misusing it, for using it for, for non-Temple purposes. And if you're going to follow where the tree is growing, so why are you not held accountable for using it for non-Temple purposes? So what do we learn from here? We're only talking about the roots that grow beyond. Because In other words, so you planted the tree, then they dedicated the field, and it's only the roots that are growing after the dedication of the field that we're talking about. Because some are me. And there's a whole other reason, which is because extra growth on roots is not considered something that is that can be obligated for misuse, for non temple misuse. Ravina So Ravina says actually. What are you talking about? We have the same svara that we had before. This is within 16 amot, and this is beyond 16 amot. So the first 16 amot of the hektesh field, the field that is dedicated to the temple use, is not considered hektesh, is not considered dedicated to the temple because for the same reason of Rabbi Yehuda, for the same reason that because it's bar rabbi, there is a, a, a different status for the borders of the field, which is that it's not, doesn't really belong or totally belong to the owner of the field. So therefore, also, if the roots grow underneath there, so they're not hectic because they're not totally belong to the owner of the field who dedicated the field. Okay, we're going to stop here. We're almost at the end of the chapter, and then at the end of the chapter, after the end of the chapter, we have one more episode to the end of the chapter, and then special episode with special guests who I can't tell you who it is yet because they haven't totally um, committed. Okay, anyway, it's been wonderful being with you during this time. Please come back next week if you enjoyed it. Please rate this podcast on the Apple podcast page, and that way other people will be able to find it. It also make me feel good. You can follow me on Twitter at... Irmiklat, I-R-M-I-K-L-A-T. Shout out to Charlotta Van Robert, who I harouted with this week, helping me prepare this. suya. So yeah, thank you, Charlotta. And of course, eternal gratitude to my producer, Ellie Unger Sargon, whose steady hands are on the control. I hope you enjoyed it this week. Hope you come back next week, bring other people so that the sounds of Tara will drown out displace and undermine the sounds of all that is evil in the world. Hug some